Welcome to Mind Love, episode 68. Today's episode is all about releasing shame and embracing our stories. What is it I'm afraid of anybody to know about me and how can I share that? And maybe a way that feels really edgy and terrifying. I remember having so many cathartic, energetic releases as I was telling the truth. It was such a relief. And you know what happened when I told that whole story? So many people reach out to me. People just saying, oh my God, I've been doing the same thing. I've been hiding the same story. And it was like this spontaneous healing occurred because I was willing to be, you know, seen. It's the complete opposite of everything I was afraid of, right? It was like, wait, actually everyone was waiting to just love you for this and really honor you for this. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Mind Love is a CastBox original. You can still listen to Mind Love wherever you get your podcasts, but CastBox is pretty awesome, so I hope you'll give it a try. And tap that cute little button that says subscribe. More subscribers means even better guests and even more value. Plus, it helps grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone can use a little more Mind Love. Hi, friends and fellow wild women. I've really been embracing the term wild woman these days. The universe just keeps presenting me with that and I relate to everything I've read about the wild woman. So I'm bringing the term to all of you. Plus, it is an inclusive term because every woman has a bit of wild woman in them, whether she realizes it or not. I might do a mini episode about it, but until then, Google it. It's gold. Aubrey Marcus has a great episode with Christine Hassler on what a wild woman and wild man is that I highly recommend. Today, we are talking about releasing shame. I think we all have something from our past that we're not totally proud of, or maybe even something from our present. I have a ton. Part of it is that I have an addictive personality, so there have been so many periods in my life where my behaviors took on an energy of their own, and I felt like I had lost control. And really, control is an illusion anyways, but it is nice to feel led by a positive energy over a negative one. Today's episode has a lot of sensitive topics, so if you have little ones around or you yourself are sensitive to topics like sex work and masturbation, I recommend you pick one of the many other episodes. But I feel like these topics are much needed because there's a lot of common human things that we wrap in judgment and shame, and I personally would like to be one of the people shining love on those topics to help release the collective shame that some of us might hold. Today, we talk to Sydney Campos. She's a fellow wild woman with a wild story, transcending 10 years of drug and alcohol abuse and sex work. But through courage and truth and vulnerability, just a few years later, she was serving her soul's mission, healing and teaching around the world. She signed a major book deal and was leading retreats for visionary leaders eager to live in alignment with their highest soul self. Today, three key things we will learn are the myth of mistakes, how we go into bad decision denial, and how our shame and releasing it affects our collective consciousness. Before we dive in, I want to share the easiest way to start each day with a positive mindset. 
thousands of other wild women are loving my daily morning mind love emails. They're short daily reminders of your own beauty, magic, and power that are the perfect addition to your morning routine. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. You'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. First, you'll get a really cool free booklet of Powerless based on proven principles from the most successful people to automate your best self. Plus, you'll get a free guided affirmation meditation. It's set to a magical binaural frequency known as the miracle tone, which is known to make you a magnet for love, health, and abundance. The layered affirmations perfectly tune your frequency for personal transformation. Go to mindlove.com to sign up, or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 444-999. That's morning to 444-999. And now let's welcome Sydney Campos to the show. Thank you. So great to see you. <laughs> Let's start with what you call your journey of awakening. So when did that start for you? I suppose the last seven years, which started with getting sober from drugs and alcohol in 2011. Sorry, 2010. Wow. 2011, November 1st is when I stopped my long love affair with drugs and alcohol and really had to face myself for the first time and start to feel what I was actually feeling for my entire life. The story really begins when I was little and had super activated intuitive and psychic awareness and sensitivity. And around the age of six and seven in particular, I learned that it was not safe for me to tell the truth in the way that I was really seeing the world, that my parents, adults around me, it felt uncomfortable for them to hear me share what it was that I noticed and what it was that I was seeing in them. So I learned around that age to really shut down my perception. And of course, that was around the time I started going to school and had to fit in and all the things that I know many of us relate to experiencing around that time. However, I lived the next 20 years or so incredibly disconnected from myself and experienced a lot of intense depression, a lot of intense repression of my gifts, and just really lived a very fragmented life, you know, while being a high performer, high achiever in school, in many respects, looking great on the outside, you know, feeling really empty, really disconnected, really dead, actually, in many ways on the inside. And so I have this very contrasting experience in my life, which feels very extreme. I'm not giving you tons of the details yet, because there's just so many stories in terms of kind of the depths of the darkness, shall we say. But really, my journey over the last seven years and awakening and taking care of myself and returning back to my truth has been about feeling and has been about being willing to really face the feelings that I have in each moment. And, you know, it sounds very simple to say it like that. It's maybe a complex path. And that's really the essence of what I'm here to share and teach in my work of helping others through coaching, retreats, my book, speaking. My mission is to help liberate people, not only in their consciousness and conscious awareness and ability to access their truth and discern their truth and what they genuinely desire, but to really unlock the depths of love that they're here to feel and share with the world. It does sound so simple when we say, just feel, but our feeling is the connection to the present moment. It's where literally everything exists. <laughs> But ironically, it's also what so many of us are trying to escape from at the same time. 
There are just so many avenues to numbing, whether it's pills or drugs or alcohol or even our social media habits. It can be so difficult to just be and sit with our feelings. So I love that. I'm curious, you said it was about the last seven years of awakening. Such a good number too. (laughs) But did you have a catalyst or even a few that helped you realize enough, something needs to change? Yeah, there's a particular moment that's very significant. There were many, many moments over many years, and I'm very stubborn. So I wasn't listening. I wasn't ready until it was time. My awakening moment, there were many. And, you know, one of them was maybe when I was 17 years old, actually, by that point, I was a pretty full blown alcoholic, I would say at that time, although I don't necessarily identify with that label anymore. And I went to my first AA meeting actually when I was 17, because even at that point in high school, like my junior year in high school, I was having my best friend, my sister, basically tell me that she couldn't hang out with me anymore because it was too painful to witness the way I was behaving. And it it was just too much. She couldn't hang out with me unless I stopped drinking. And I couldn't fathom my life without alcohol because it was such a part of my identity you know, this ability to finally feel free. I felt like I could breathe the moment I was drinking. I felt like I didn't have to worry so much and carry the weight of the world on my shoulders. And I just couldn't see how my life would continue without this identity. And I didn't stop. And I went to that AA meeting and saw very quickly, I, you know, because we'll collect evidence for whatever it is that we want to believe. And at that time, I was trying to substantiate the fact that it wasn't that bad. And even in that meeting, I looked around and I, my perception was such that, oh my gosh, I'm so much better off than all these people. I saw the room full of like 60 year olds and I was like, these people have lost everything. It's not that bad for me yet. And really, you know, having returned to AA like six or seven, however many years later, I saw that that room was probably very diverse, probably had a lot of people in there my age, probably looked all kinds of different ways, but my perception was such that, you know, I just saw the one story I wanted to believe at that time. So it was years later when I was 24 years old, where I was sitting in a therapist's office in New York City, where I was working in advertising at the time and really was there with the intention of, you know, I wanted some help on finding my purpose. I could just find my purpose in a job that felt meaningful for me then maybe I could feel the way that I really wanted to feel. So again, there was this externalization of purpose, a good job, success, money, stature, all those things. You know, if I could just have those outside things and have the story that fit, maybe then I could feel happy. I was really seeking meaning and purpose and fulfillment. I didn't realize that that came from an internal space within. I was not capable of accessing that at that time. So I'm in the therapist's office thinking I'm going to get this great advice about, you know, finding a purposeful career, basically getting career coaching. And this woman kind of starts to sense, the therapist asked me, she must have just started to sense that something was going on because at this time I was working full time. And then also at nighttime, I was working at a strip club as a stripper from like 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. And then I was going to work at 8 a.m you know, two days a week. And I was getting really drunk and sometimes doing drugs and then going to this full-time job and pretending that everything was normal. And then on the weekends, I was also like moonlighting, although very briefly as an escort. And I was just living this whole secret double life that I carried so much shame about that was really fueled by this intense obsession about money and gathering a ton of money 
to pay off my debt, my student loan debt, and just to have a lot of money so that I could feel free to live my purpose generally, right? So I was just chasing purpose in all these ways, carrying a lot of shame and hiding everything that I was doing from you know, no one knew what I was doing. It was really dangerous. It was like in some really dangerous situations. And she must have sensed that. So she asked me, you know, what's really going on? Something to that effect. It's hard for me to remember because at that time in my life, I was really living as a zombie. I was really in a different state of being. I don't recall the particular moment. Although the moment I do remember is something coming up in me. It was like a God moment, absolutely, where I felt finally, maybe for the first time, I could actually tell someone the truth because I saw her look in my eyes and I felt my reflection when I told her what I just told you, you know, what I was really doing. And it was so illuminating. I really saw this fear and terror in her eyes in a way that I had never seen, you know, anybody react and just felt in that moment that I was killing myself and I was going to die. If I continued to behave this way, I was jeopardizing my safety. It was like so clear that I was going to die. If not from the drugs, if not from the alcohol, then certainly from, you know, the dangerous situations I was putting myself in dangerous people I was around. And even then wasn't a moment where I was like, I'm going to stop all of it now. It was a few months later that I finally, my last time drinking ended up being waking up in a bed with someone I didn't know, didn't know how I got there, felt horrible. And it was the paradoxical moment of being woken up by an alarm clock on my phone that had me go to meet a family friend and her niece to talk to her about college. Because I had this person somehow in my life looking at me as a role model. So it was like this double life being like staring me in the face. Like, wait a minute, that feels more true to who I really want to be. That feels more like the life I'm here to live. That feels more like purpose, you know, going to meet this amazing young woman to tell her about college and support her on her path. And then here I am waking up in this bed next to this person. I don't know what happened and I feel terrible. I'm killing myself. So it was that unspeakable paradox of this like total dishonesty and being completely out of integrity that really, I feel broke my heart. You know, it was like the experience of me realizing that I was the only one breaking my own heart the whole time, that there's no outside thing going on that's going to fix this feeling, this inside experience. And again, I had no vocabulary with which I could have explained that at the moment, but it just, it was grace. And that day at lunch, In New York, we went to this restaurant where I normally drink a ton and I just didn't. And then the next day I went to my first AA meeting and I got sober. It stopped. November 1st, 2011, very mysterious number, which I also had no awareness of at the time. (laughs) Wow. 11-1-11. Nice. Yeah, that's right. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. 
But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. (laughs) And it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. First of all, I really love that story of transformation, but most of all, your openness around something that I think is cast in a shadow of judgment by society, which makes it so that a lot of people that have been there hold a lot of shame about it. My personality is just very non-judgmental because when I look back at my life, I can see so many parts of it that are very easy to judge. And there are also parts of it or depths that I've gone to that are hard to explain. And the only reason I know that it's possible for a normal person to get there is because I got there. Because of my own openness, I know a lot of women that have worked in the sex industry. And because of the way that we handle it in our culture, it's their secret life. They don't really talk about it with people. But really, I look back at different periods of my life when sex was very much transactional for me. It was just a different type of transaction. And I'm not saying that I slept around for money, but it might be that I was trying to fill my own void or I was trying to feel worthy or wanted. And that is still a transaction. Unless you're going into sex saying, I am here to please you and to service you and not for the power that that will give me or make me feel, but just so that I know you're taken care of. Sex isn't like that for a lot of people. I would say most people that are having casual sex. So I just really believe that most people shouldn't cast judgment on it. So thank you for starting that conversation and for being vulnerable there. What compelled you to be so open with that part of your life instead of just focusing on the other parts of your story like a lot of us do? Man, that wasn't something immediately. It was years of evolution and growth and, you know, again, facing myself. There's a lot of different ways I could tell that story. At the moment that comes up, interestingly enough, was a few years ago. So much of my life has been this reorientation of externalizing my value, externalizing my mission, my truth. 
looking good as opposed to feeling good, as opposed to feeling the truth, being present with the truth. And so even a few years ago, as I eventually years in working full time and advertising and PR and everything looking good, the call for my soul to go share these gifts and be a teacher and a healer is too loud. It got way too loud to avoid any longer. And I found myself, you know, doing something really scary at the time, putting my notice in, starting my company. That's a whole other story that's amazing. But a year into that process of finally being on my own entrepreneurship, it was actually a moment when I arrived to Bali for the first time. It was very interesting. Okay, this is the story that wants to be told. Wow. I just set it up so perfectly. You know, my soul likes to set up really painful, difficult initiations because I am stubborn and I like the fast track and evolution and growth. So I set up some really hard lessons. And if you can imagine, I'm like six and seven months into my business. This is just two and a half years ago about, and it's really not that long ago. So I've really experienced such a quantum leap in consciousness. It's astounding actually for me to tell you that timeline in linear terms. I find myself in New Zealand. And I'm on this retreat in December 2016. And it's such a dream for me to travel this far away. And I'm with my mentor on her retreat with all these women. It's so incredible, like dream beyond a dream. I'm on this retreat. And I had planned to go to Bali for a month afterwards, right? I'm so excited. I've been trying to go to Bali for years. I finally got the trip planned. I'm so ready to go. I'm on this goddess retreat. There's a woman on the retreat who's a sexual healer. And I'm very curious about her because I identify so much with the energy of what she's sharing. And didn't really want to tell anybody what I had done in my experience, you know, as a stripper, as an escort, really disguised as a sexual healer, but unwilling to admit that at the time, not aware of the deeper spiritual implications involved in that desire to be in that field of, shall we say, work. And so the women on the retreats talking about this website where you can go get a sugar daddy and then this man will just take care of you and pay you to be you, basically. I'm like, this feels great. And now that I'm all sober and conscious and healed, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go and look for a sugar daddy. This is awesome. You know, really, a part of me really believed that. Because again, I had this unconscious motivation to be a sexual healer still, to use my energy in, in a certain way, because I've lived so many lifetimes, as I know many women have, as I know many women are awakening to now, as a priestess, as a sexual energetic healer, as a temple practitioner, shall we say, as a tantrika, all the different words, you know, using our bodies and our energy to heal and to transmute pain, to turn trauma into love. So there's a whole, we could do a whole interview just about that. So anyways, I find myself on the website, right? And I'm making the profile to meet the sugar daddy. And in hindsight, as I'm telling you this, I've actually never told this story on an interview. So this is really fun. <laughs> to your point, telling more of the truth. <laughs> I don't know. There's something about me that just brings out people's secrets. This feels a little edgy for me, actually, because I can see in hindsight how even in that process, I was duplicating the same behavior. I started to feel the shame. I started to feel like hiding. I started to feel out of integrity because now I was a coach. I was like, you know, showing up in the world, like living this life, telling the story. People want to work with me because they're like, you're so amazing. You're traveling the world. You're so happy. And I'm like, you know, I'm doing the same kind of like doing this thing I want to hide again, which didn't feel good. So long story short, I arrived to Bali and it's life changing to arrive there. I felt such an instant remembrance. I was like, oh my God, I have arrived home. Wow, this is so powerful. I decide pretty soon after that I think I need to stay here. I was living in New York City at the time. 
didn't really want to go back to New York in the winter. That didn't sound so good. <laughs> so I just kept prolonging my stay. And I find myself in a New Year's retreat in Gilly Air, a meditation retreat over New Year's. And I make the decision over that retreat that I'm going to stay in Bali. I'm going to give myself this gift of staying here, even though I had this whole story and this whole part of me that said, you have to go back to New York. You have your apartment there. You have your community there. Your identity is there. Like, you have to go back. And my soul said, no, you get to stay in Bali. You belong here. You're going to stay and figure all that other stuff out. It'll be easy. And also on the retreat, interestingly enough, I decided that I'm going to go meet this guy who I had been talking with a little bit here and there. This man who I, I still will never know his name, David, allegedly. And we had spoken on WhatsApp a few times. And he really likes the idea that I was a health coach and a yoga teacher and was into meditation and Reiki. And it really felt that he just wanted to pay me to come spend time with him to be his personal life coach. You know, that's like one way to describe it. And because it wasn't super sexual or, you know, our conversations were pretty. In hindsight, I can see how there were a lot of moments where that was definitely implied that there was obviously, I mean, I was in such denial. I'm like, I'm just going to be his Reiki healer. <laughs> oh, yeah. The times I've gone out with men knowing but pretending not to know what they really wanted from me. It's like, oh, yeah, he's probably just super rich and super lonely. I'm going to help him quit smoking. You know, it's like, actually, he sends me a ticket to go meet him right from my retreat in Gilly Air. Talk about contrast, right? Like I'm on this week-long meditation retreat, super spiritual. On Facebook, you would never know, right? Like I was on the spiritual retreat. And then I get the ticket to go meet this man in Jakarta. And I go to the airport and I'm on the way to the airport and I'm terrified. And I'm asking God to show me the numbers, like, show me numbers, show me 333 if I'm supposed to turn around. Because I knew I was afraid. This didn't feel right. This is scary. But I'm going anyway. And I get on the plane and I go to Jakarta, which is a really scary big city. And I go to this hotel room that he sets me up with. We were talking on the phone right when I get to the hotel room. And I'm actually, I think, in total terror, but playing the game of excitement and denial for whatever reason. And he's like, we're going to meet tomorrow. Like, what time can we meet? We'll meet at this time. And then I realized, talk about the double life thing. It reminds me of the story I told you about the alarm going off when um, I was supposed to go meet the girl about college. It was like the same moment because I looked at my calendar and it's like, oh, wait, no, I have a client at that time. I actually need to meet later, right? I had a coaching client. It's like, I can't go meet you for our escorting sugar daddy date. Because I have a client before that. <laughs> so I call him back. I actually can't meet at that time. Can we meet later? But I'm still trying to meet, right? I'm still like, I'm here. I'm in. Let's do it. And in that call, his whole energy changed. And he's like, as long as you're here on my time, on my dollar, you do what I say. Oh, my gosh. And that like, was bone chilling, you know, terrifying to hear. And I believe he hung up the phone. It's hard for me to recall because I was literally paralyzed. I was like paralyzed in fear. Because it just hit me, the gravity of like what I had created in that moment. Nobody knew where I was. Again, I didn't tell anybody, right? Totally hiding it all to myself. And this person hung up on me. And I think in the moment, I also noticed our whole WhatsApp conversation was encrypted. It was deleted. I had no way of contacting him. I was in this huge city. He was the only person who knew where I was, who bought my hotel room, bought my plane ticket, had my passport information. All of that had been handled by a third-party travel agent, but I had emailed it to him. So it's just all of it in a moment was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> so I booked a flight right as soon as I could to get to Singapore and then to go to the airport faster than I've ever moved in my entire life. It was just like panic. Totally. I texted a few people just in a sketchy way. 
this is where I am in case anything happens without giving them any details. Like, here's my pin. I've you done know? that before. <laughs> yeah, it was really scary. I used to do that all the time when I'd go escorting. I would just tell my roommate, like, hey, here's like a general location of where I'm going to be. Can you call me at 3 a.m. if I don't come home? Just like casually, you know. And so it was really interesting. And then I had some time to integrate that. It was really, really scary. Could have died. I could have totally. Here I am risking my life again. And wow, what is happening here? And carried such a shame, felt so dishonest. Like, who am I? Who am I to go be out here in the world doing this? And meanwhile, I'm, you know, have I really changed? Wow, that's really a lot to handle. I mean, this is a fairly extreme example, maybe for some people. For me, it doesn't really seem that extreme, but I feel like these feelings you're describing happen so often whenever we're out of alignment in some way or another. So now that you have experienced this, how did that play out for you afterwards? So that actually bubbled up when I arrived to Bali a few months later, I was feeling such a painful shame. I reached a spiritual bottom with shame and all the shame I was hiding about all those years, actually, years prior, like however many years prior, my whole life, all the times that I had acted out in total dishonesty and out of integrity sacrificing my body, prostituting myself literally and figuratively in all the ways that I did, sacrificing my values for money runs really deep. I bottomed out on my financial scarcity and victim story in a massive way. And it was nonsensical because really that whole external paradigm of like things look good, so I should feel good just fell apart because I was in Bali in paradise in a beautiful villa. I had money in my bank account. And I felt this unspeakable terror and fear come over me that I was going to run out of money, that I wasn't going to have enough, that my business was going to fall apart, that I couldn't do it. I just bottomed out on all the things, the fraud complex and the shame about everything I was had been hiding. I hadn't been telling that story. And that the whole story of all the sexual stuff, and it runs so deep and it goes back to childhood and it went back to like major trauma and even deeper layers of like all the ways I showed up in dishonesty and all my intimate relationships, faking orgasms with all my partners, being in shame, thinking that something was wrong with my body. I couldn't actually orgasm with another person because, you know, I wasn't willing to be seen. I wasn't actually willing to be in real intimacy. I had to play this part and look a certain way and play this whole character for you to get what you want and to be all about you instead of me and owning my experience and being willing to be actually witnessed in my authentic expression. So it's very multi-layered, right? And so someone should write a book about this or something. The entry point really to the healing and the awakening that has occurred for me, which is simultaneously about money, about freedom, about authenticity, about presence, started when I was willing to be seen in literally telling the story. It's like the longest live stream I've ever made. I made a live stream because that was my biggest fear for people out there, especially people I don't know, or my clients, my family, to see, to hear me, to hear the whole story. So I just told the whole story of my life. And as it pertains to sexuality and all the stuff I had never told anybody about, all the stuff I was afraid for anybody to know about me that I thought for sure would just destroy my entire reputation forever. I did it with the help of a mentor. But I should say I was really motivated at that time by making money. Like, again, it was an external thing. Like money was this vehicle for me to do that internal healing because I was like, I got to get out of the scarcity consciousness. It's paralyzing. And I have such a big mission to serve. I can't afford to be operating like this. But there's an intrinsic link between the energetics of money and the energetics of sexuality and shame, which I alluded to here. It's like they go hand in hand, you know, until I was willing to be seen in my truth, seen in my authentic expression and disarm that shame 
much trauma that I had been carrying in my physical body and my energetic, emotional body. I wasn't going to be open to receiving at higher levels, period, receiving, period, love, intimacy, creativity and divine inspiration, you know, channeled insight, sexual fulfillment, orgasmic bliss, ecstasy and money service, fulfillment, all the things, they're all kind of the same energy, you know, when I really tune in with it. And there's so much more I could share, but I'll leave it at that for now. Okay. There's so much I want to unpack in that. So when you did finally share your story, you mentioned that you had had a lot of shame around that. And especially in America, there does seem to be judgment around that topic. So I'm wondering, did the shame persist or did it start to subside? it's really amazing to share this with you because it's like, it's so hard for me to recall because I've healed and let go of that whole identity in so many ways. It's like hard for me to even remember Mm. what used to be like visceral, like terror and shame. So I do remember in that moment after, you know, the video, you can see it on YouTube. I have it on YouTube. It's like up there. It's like the most embarrassing live stream ever. And I remember having so many cathartic, energetic releases as I was telling the truth. It was like the shamanic healing almost. It was like I was just feeling energy leave my body. I was crying. I was feeling vibration, you know, in new ways. It was such a relief. And after that video, I channeled like thousands of words of writing. I just had this creativity unlock. You know, I had this inspiration unlock it was so beautiful. I just was like sitting and writing for hours. I felt so energized. You know, I felt so open in a way that I had never felt. And that kind of quest became almost like addictive for me to be in that question of what is it I'm afraid of anybody to know about me and how can I share that? And maybe a way that feels really edgy and terrifying because my biggest edge I've been healing is people pleasing, which is a huge shadow on the path of visionary pioneering leadership. You know, you must not care about what people think and try to be understood if you're here to create something new that no one's going to understand for a time. You know, it's like that has continued again and again to be a growing edge for me on this path. And so I asked that question. I find that's a very helpful healing tool for anybody in that moment of caring so much about what people think, caring about being understood about you know, am I going to be alone? Are people going to think I'm crazy? It's a very common experience that I think we collectively especially again in America, where we're taught to be in that external looking good as opposed to feeling good mentality. Ask yourself the question, what is it I'm afraid of anybody to know about me? And what's the way that I could tell the story in a way that would really ruin my whole image? (laughs) Right? It's like shatter that ego that we hold onto so tightly. That's it. Like play with that ego dismantling and see what you're really made of. And those are the moments in which you can really cultivate that self-love and hold space for yourself as your own best healer, really, to see that, oh, wait, the thing I was afraid that was going to kill me isn't even real. And the beautiful thing is, you know what happened actually in that live stream? Because I was all afraid everyone's going to judge me. I had all my projections and my ego story certainly was that, whoa, people are going to hate me. Probably they're going to think I'm disgusting. They're going to think I'm gross. They're going to not trust me. My clients are all going to think I'm crazy and that I've been lying to them. All the projections about how I was going to be made wrong and look really bad. And you know what happened when I told that whole story? I had like so many people reach out to me. So many, more than I ever had before. Private messages, comments in the feed of that video, 
people just saying, oh my God, I've done the same thing. I've had the same issue. I've been doing the same thing. I've been hiding the same story. I feel everything that you shared. And I feel so much healing now happening, having heard you share your story, because I too have been in so much shame my entire life, hiding. And it was like the spontaneous healing occurred because I was willing to be, you know, seen and all these other people were able to heal and share and open up and who knows the ripple effect that occurred, but really receiving that love, receiving that reflection from so many people was so powerful, that love to feel that love and connection. It was the complete opposite of everything I was afraid of, right? It was like, wait, actually everyone was waiting to just love you for this and really honor you for this. I feel so many similarities in that story with my bulimia. For the longest time, the only person who knew was my mom because she's my mom and nothing slips by her. But I remember just feeling even more shame when she found out because it made me feel like less of a person. Like that's what I was in her eyes now, which is absurd when I think about it now. But I just remember her watching me when I would go to the bathroom. Obviously, because she was worried about me, but I hated that feeling so much. So even when it had been quite a while since I had been engaging in bulimic behaviors, I was so afraid to tell anybody, which was so unlike me because I have always kind of openly shared things that most people would not be comfortable sharing. But I was afraid that if I did share it and then I fell off the wagon, more people would be watching me. And according to so many books and articles and whatever that I read, bulimia is something that you don't just get over. It's with you for life, which as a side note, I think is a really dangerous way to frame anything. But I remember when I did finally share it with somebody willingly. I was at a party engaged in this really stimulating conversation. And for some reason, I just felt this inner pull to share this. And when I did, that person just kind of turned white and all of a sudden told me that she had just recently started binging and purging. But it was this moment that I realized that I need to share my truth because it's not just about my own healing. We are all connected and there's this collective healing when we do just own our truth and our authentic self. Something that stuck out to me when you were just sharing your story was when you said, When you first came clean, you realized that you were going to say something that for a while, nobody is going to understand. And I think that's a key point because we don't even fully understand when we first decide to share. There's so much that still unfolds about our own self-discovery. And I think a lot of it does come from the interactions that we have with other people and the reflections that we see of ourselves in other people. So I think there's just so much power in having two people with different experiences and different energies together, whether it's for healing or even coming up with new ideas. Connection is just so important. Beautiful. Yes. You know, and as you're speaking, it's like I can see so clearly how even the desire to understand, like, where's that coming from? Because pure presence and pure feeling is about love is about, you know, openness to giving and receiving love that's happening in the moment. That's not something I seek to even understand. That's felt experience maybe beyond anything words could even describe. So if I'm in the 
energy of trying to understand or worrying about if people are understanding me or seeing me or, you know, if I'm thinking about whether or not people are loving me, I'm probably not feeling all the love that is existing in me and around me. <laughs> like, you know, so it's just discernment. Such becomes the journey of discernment and starting to really cultivate that discernment and reorientation out of thinking, out of thinking about what's what you're even feeling and purely feeling, you know, and that's a journey. There's layers, right? I shared with you. It's complex. We're all such multifaceted beings. You know, we all have trauma. We all have stagnant, stuck energy and stories and conditioned ways of thinking and ways of seeing the world and even ways of intellectualizing feeling and emotion. And so I really empathize with that collective awakening and journey happening now in such an amplified sense. It feels like people can't help but become more sensitive to their feelings and then wonder, okay, how do I feel? How do I really listen? How do I receive this? How do I trust my body? How do I feel safe to be in the body? out of the mind? What's it like to live as an actual embodied being, not run completely on intellect? Right? Oh my gosh. I remember this time that I was in this women's group and we would start these gatherings by naming a word that encompassed how we felt that day. And I remember thinking, wait, you mean you want to know what I did? (laughs) I don't know how I feel. Why do you want to know how I feel? But that was this moment of contrast for me because by then I had already done years of work on myself and I still had no idea what I felt that day. So I realized that if I had felt a negative emotion, I would have known. Or if I felt a really extreme positive emotion, I also would have known. But I hadn't yet gotten into the habit of taking notice of or acknowledging most of my feelings throughout the day. So Thank you for bringing that into the conversation. I also want to go back to orgasms since you brought those up too. I did a whole episode on faking orgasms, episode 25, and it's still one of my favorites because I think it's a conversation that we need to have more. But most of my life, I faked orgasms unless they were (laughs) self-gifted. But I had a lot of shame around that because I didn't want to be the woman that my partners couldn't get off. I felt like it would be emasculating and it would turn them off of me. So instead, I made them feel like real men, (laughs) you know? So that in itself was a journey for me. The first time I ever orgasmed with a guy was with someone I didn't care about at all because I wasn't thinking about how long it took. I didn't care how he thought it smelled. I really just wasn't eager to please. And that all stemmed from my very first boyfriend telling me that he thought going down on girls was gross. It's just so funny how those little moments can affect you for a really long time. So I'm wondering, after escorting, did you go through a transition where sex stopped being something intimate? Or how was it coming out of that? Wow, I love hearing what your experience is so good. It's so good. It's like when you drop the people pleasing and the thinking and the caring what everyone else is going to think, right? When you show up in that moment and not even giving up, like not caring. It's like, I don't care. But it just happens. And the body just wants to feel good. It's so funny. It's like effortless. (laughs) It's not something you even have to try. You know, it's so funny. So I love that. I really resonate with that. Wow, sex is our power. Sex is our ultimate creation force, is our life force, is our creativity. 
is not all of life in some respect sexual, is not all of life in some respect creative, you know, is not sex the ultimate act of being, feeling, living, breathing God? You know, it's like, wow, I really feel that it's so powerful. And so, of course, for most of my life, I knew this at an unconscious level. It was so powerful. And I was afraid of being in my power because I'm very powerful and I run a lot of like high frequency energy. And I think I have my whole life. But I was afraid of how that high power energy was going to feel for everyone else, you know, which started really little when I was a little kid. And I'll share this memory. This is important because I know a lot of people resonate with this. I started feeling like it learned the lesson that it wasn't safe to be in my body and not trust my body's wisdom and not trust what my body felt really good receiving. When I was like six years old, again, I was at a birthday party, my birthday party, and I was dancing and having fun. It was a little kid. I'm not like sexualized, you know, I'm just feeling good in my body. Although I was a really sexual little kid, but I wasn't thinking about it that way. This is a projection from an adult, right? Like even me now saying I was a sexual little kid. No, I wasn't. Like I was masturbating when I was probably four, five, six, and I felt great. Oh my gosh. I had a huge masturbation problem when I was a kid. It was a concern to everyone that knew me. My mom was worried that something may have happened to me, so she sent me to counseling And I realized when I was older that I had just learned it from another kid. And I couldn't find any good reason to stop because it felt so good. So I finally just learned to keep it a secret. And I never stopped. But it's not a problem. See, so these are adult projections, right? Adult projections, that's a problem. You're sexual. No, I'm not. I was a little kid. I was exploring my body. I was feeling awesome. I was having like amazing orgasms as a child and it was super powerful. And I was also seeing fairies and energy in different dimensions and all of which is, I think, connected as well, allowing my energy to flow freely. Then I'm six years old at my birthday party dancing. I sit on my dad's lap. I kind of like, I guess, rub myself on him. And again, adult projection that's sexual, that's wrong. You know, this is all very subtle energetic exchange that occurred. Nothing was said. But in that moment, I rubbed myself on him. It felt probably felt good for me. Who knows? I wasn't thinking about it. My dad picks me up very abruptly. It was all the energetic exchange that imprinted upon me because in his energy, he communicated, that's wrong. You're making me uncomfortable. That's like bad. Don't do that. Stop. And this is someone that I rely on to take care of me. This is my dad. And also interesting, right? Represents the masculine in my life. So It's like in that moment, you could imagine all of the programming that occurred that I just absorbed as a little sponge I am that we are when we're that age, that it's not safe to be in my body, my body, like don't listen, be in the mental construct of looking good, of being safe, of making sure everyone's comfortable, right? All of the things so deep, right? Rooted. So that would go on to the, that would be the program, the dominant program for many years. And again, resulting in that repression of sense of self, disconnection from the body, unwillingness to trust my truth, unwillingness to like really actually listen to what it is that feels good, totally disempowered from my feelings. I don't know. My feelings are dangerous. My feelings guide me into awkward situations with the people I depend on to take care of me. Better not listen. I know a lot of people, most people, in fact, I find have that type of experience where it's very young. We have a program that gets set into motion very young, usually in relation to our parents and a certain way in which our survival was threatened. So I liberated myself from that program through sharing about it, as I told you, sharing the truth. And then came time to actually have the orgasm with someone. I'm like, when's this going to happen? 
Because even until like that moment, I had stories built, stories to substantiate that reality which I had created, which is I can't trust my body. There's something wrong with my body. It actually evolved into like there's something wrong with my body. The way that I feel good, the way that I express orgasm, there's something wrong. I think I'm broken. Because especially whenever I looked at porn, like my first boyfriend would like have me look at porn and be like, be like that. Literally, he would say something like that. Like, why can't you do that? Or something like really abusive. But again, not thinking about it. Not really thinking about it at the time. We were like 18, you know. But that's where I just learned to start faking. And the faking orgasms was a huge block in my natural energy flow, which naturally wants to run and express itself. But I was literally like repressing it. So I was like this pressure cooker, like hiding. And that physically manifested as an actual cyst in my body, which I then carried tons of shame about as well and drank over and did drugs over. Like I literally manifested the cyst which I believe is a material manifestation of energetic blocks, right? Like the body literally just giving you a signal, like there's energy stuck here, pay attention. And I got this cyst called a Bartholin cyst, which is these glands on either side of our vagina that lubricate the vagina, I believe. There's very little known about this, I guess. I was like on the forums back in the day, like 2008, looking the stuff up because I was so ashamed of anybody to know this about me because there's something wrong with me. And it would be so painful and it would be swollen and excruciating. And I think intuitively I knew I was like, I know that this is because I'm not allowing myself to have orgasms, that I can actually have orgasms, even though I believe that I can't because I would by myself, I would go like sneak away after I'd have sex with my boyfriend until they were like satiated. And then I'd go sneak away and make myself come on my own, but in shame with shame and fear. And like, I don't want anyone to know and I want to hide. And that also became an interesting like turn on even like that's like a turn on like that evolved into like a turn on like I don't want anyone to find me or like see me or know me like the shadow can become this interesting space to play in the realm of turn on and fantasy and power. And so that's a whole other conversation. But ultimately, similarly to you, I had this beautiful man in my life years later that came to visit me in Bali. And so much of my healing has happened in Bali because it's just such an accelerated energy for healing. And I just felt so safe with him. I told him the whole story of what I told you about the meeting the sugar daddy, which up until that point, I had not told anybody actually. Even in my big expose about my sexual path, I didn't tell that part actually in that expose. At least I can't remember. I don't think I did though. I don't think I was ready to tell that because that was too recent. I was like, oh wait, people can't know about that. Just happened a few months ago. That's like not, I'm not ready for that. But I told this man that was staying with me, visiting me, I actually told him that I've never had an orgasm with a partner, which is the first time I ever told a partner that. I had never told a partner that, right? So I created this vulnerability. I created this real intimacy. He opened up and shared, you know, I think a lot of women have that experience. I've been with women who have shared that with me. And I'm willing to work on this with you if you are. <laughs> it <was> like... <laughs> It just felt really good. And then it was with him that I had the first experience. But I had so many mental blocks I was aware of in that process of literally like the moment where we're like having sex and then he's helping me. And I just had so much of my people pleasing stuff come up like, man, like this is a lot of work. This is taking a long time. Like, oh my God, just my whole empath thing too, like feeling what he's feeling. And is this okay? Is this still enjoyable? Just still being, I was so programmed to be in sex so oriented to the other person's experience instead of my own. Like that's just the way I learned how to be. And sex is such a mirror. The way we show up in that, those intimate moments, it's literally the way we show up in the rest of our lives. Absolutely. We can't show up any other way. And so I was seeing in that practice of like, oh my God, I'm so in my head. I'm so in this other person's experience. And it was this gymnastics, this reorientation 
while my body is also building energy, right? So it was actually the ultimate like orgasmic manifestation practice. I'm committing to this. I'm going to do this. I'm free. I'm healed. Doing the reprogramming, feeling into my body, being in the depth of my experience. And you know what? Actually, I don't think I've ever said this out loud either. This feels really good to share. I think I carried a lot of shame and story and projection about the way that my body expresses orgasm, which is through squirting, like a ton, like a huge amount, ever since I was little. Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny, isn't it? Just funny how we process things because I had the exact opposite shame. I spent hours on Google trying to figure out how to squirt. (laughs) So isn't that funny? It's like the thing I'm ashamed of is the thing everyone else is like wanting to do. When I was a little kid, I had shame about it because I thought I was peeing and I thought it was yucky, even though it felt so good. And even when I was little, I remember being like, I don't think this is pee because it feels like it's coming out of a different part and it feels different. It smells different. But I carried shame about it because it would be messy. It's funny because Mm -hmm. I know that so many people say that little kids can't orgasm, but I was definitely orgasming. I don't know if I've ever shared this on the podcast before, but like I said, I had a masturbation problem or I am going to reframe that as habit or (laughs) hobby. But it was around that time where there was a wave of fear of stories about kids being molested. So my mom obviously had fear, but I would do it wherever because I really didn't understand that it was wrong. And I would just kind of do it over my clothes. I would roll up my fists and kind of lean onto them and still stimulate myself. But I remember this time I was in third grade and apparently the teacher caught on. But I sat in the back of the classroom, so I thought I was just a sleuth. (laughs) And she actually invited the principal in to observe me. (laughs) And of course, late clockwork, I went at it. (laughs) So (laughs) the principal totally saw me. I'm fully in my O face. (laughs) And to be fair, my mom was doing the best she could with it. She was worried about me, but she still didn't just tell me no. She advised me to do it in private. But when I got older, I started to wonder if maybe that was part of the reason that I had a hard time orgasming with partners. Like maybe I was too rough with myself or maybe it was the psychological effects. But then that goes back to just always wanting an explanation or a why when I think most of the times things are more complicated than that. It's just our anatomy or we express differently. Not everything needs an origin story. But yeah, I had so much shame around that too. And now I don't care at all. (laughs) I kind of pride myself on it. So beautiful. Isn't what you just described, maybe just with slightly different words, it's like the story of human evolution and belonging and liberation, right? And knowing that we're all so incredibly unique and our bodies are all so incredibly unique. Why would we ever believe the insanity that we're supposed to look like or feel like or be like anybody else? It's so true. (laughs) It's so true. It's so funny, right? Yeah, it just feels like as a people, humanity, so many of us are obsessed with this one singular vision of what is attractive and what is perfect and what's enticing to the opposite sex and what's considered success. And it's all this one standard that it seems everyone is shooting towards. But if we realize that our individuality is 
where the real beauty is and where the real value that we can give is. If we're fully expressing as ourselves, then how beautiful would this whole universe be if we were all just encompassing that? How many more things would there even be to do and how many more pleasures would there be to feel if we weren't aiming for this one thing or this one standard that 99.99% of us can't reach because it's not our authentic self. It's why so many people reach that standard of success and they're still not happy because that is not what makes their souls shine. So you can't even feel the satisfaction from somebody else's ideal. But then it just gets exciting because what happens when we do start living from that place? How many more opportunities are unlocked because we're literally following the thread of our own authentic truth instead of the things that we think other people want from us. Expectations that may or may not even exist, but it's rather just how you perceived it. I think a lot of the pressure that we feel being put on from the outside world is actually stemming from our own pressure that we put on ourselves. So that's what I'm encouraging people to do today is own your truth and go live stream about it and or tell a friend about that thing that you have shame around. Suddenly it feels as though the shame just melts and we can start to wonder who was creating it in the first place. So I really love that. That's an inside job. And who was creating that shame in the first place? Well, I was creating it, but in reaction to a whole story I had about my parents and survival and the people I depend upon to take care of me, you know? So it's like, there's no victims, you know, we're always creating the perfect lesson that we're choosing at some level to learn from, to grow from, to evolve through. And I love to do, you know, a lot of what I'm sharing about in our whole conversation, so much, so rich. A lot of the healing I've come to again and again and moving through a lot of this somatic release and transmutation of shame and guilt and just, oh, so much pain has come through inner child work that's been really, and now Family Constellations is another big modality that I'm a huge fan of that I love to work with in my life and with my clients, working with the family. You know, I believe all the trauma, all the ways we learn how to be, all the programs, they're set into motion very, very young between the ages of zero and seven. And then we're, you know, 30, 20 years later running around wondering why we can't have an orgasm and just be in love and be in intimacy. It's like, probably started when you were really little, probably started with a very subtle energetic exchange between a parent in which you made that moment mean everything about you and whether and how you were going to survive in your life. And it's beautiful because once we have that inclination to say, wait a minute, okay, I know I'm creating this resistance. I'm creating this feeling of felt expectation. Like, I know it's me. No one's like putting this on me. You know, it came from somewhere in my life. Let me look at what was happening. Let me feel what my body is actually trying to tell me, which is usually a very specific guidance as to the memory that you're actually carrying and the trauma that wants to be released. You know, the body naturally wants to release that stuff. But how often are we asking it to tell us, you know, to guide us? You know, what do you want to release? What is the story? What is the message? And the modality of inner child healing. And then I would say family constellations, family systems therapy is like, just mind blowing for me in terms of the integrative healing that's available there. It's like all the modalities that I've ever studied, everything I've been certified in, everything I've used, it's like all in one and really is like this invitation for you to meet yourself, to really see yourself, to connect with that inner essence, to connect with that divinity, the inner genius, you know, with who you were when you were that little kid wiggling and not giving a fuck because you just wanted to feel good. 
You didn't care. You just wanted to feel good. You know why you're here in a body. Why else are we human in human bodies other than to feel incredible, right? And infinitely expansive and tapped into our infinite potential in that good feeling. Well, thank you so much for your wisdom and your light that you shared. So for listeners who are resonating with your story and want to learn more about you and possibly work with you, where can they connect with you online? Oh, wow. see lots of places. I'm on all the things, all the places. And my website's pretty good for looking at events and retreats that I have coming up. That's just sydneycampos.com and then Instagram, sydneycampos. And uh, I do a lot of live streams on Facebook, all of which are on YouTube as well. And I just can't help but share all the time. I love making videos. I'm pretty active in sharing. I think that's a big part of our medicine. You know, my medicine certainly is just storytelling and relating and sharing vulnerably like this, really sharing in the moment what's really present, what's really alive. How can I share the truth, like my truth now? Wow, it's just such an exciting time. I love social media for how it connected you and I. I love like the telepathic connection that occurs in social media. Like, I don't know, I feel a resonance with this person. I don't know why. And then it ends up being like the soul family reunion. And, you know, we're all just finding each other. It's so beautiful. And I just remembered, oh my goodness, everybody come check out my podcast, Visionary Souls. It's going to be a very exciting episode coming out with your girl right here, Miss Melissa. Yes. And we're going to be going into it as well. I'm so excited uh, to share that. Wow, that was powerful. What is something that you're yearning to release? Where can you release that? Maybe it's through telling a friend. Maybe you find a support group. Or maybe you even live streamed the entire world. I can tell you from personal experience that every time I've opened up about my past, it's felt like this huge weight off of my shoulders. And most of the times, the things that I was so worried about happening never did. You might be thinking, yeah, but Melissa, what if they do happen? Well, I'm not going to lie. That is a possibility. But those reactions and those confrontations are momentary. And guess what? The damage is already being done just by you holding on to the secrets and shame. It actually affects our mindsets and our bodies and our health. But when you share, the pushback is something that you then get to move past. Now, I'm not telling you you have to share. We share when we're ready, although I do recommend that you push yourself a little bit because we rarely feel 100% ready for most of the things that help us grow the most. But I'll also say that there are still things that I haven't shared, which is crazy given how much I have. But it's all a process, and I trust that I'll get there. It'll all be in the book someday, I promise you. All the links mentioned in this episode are at mindlove.com slash 068. And I'm also including Sydney's live stream that she talked about because it's definitely a powerful moment of courage that I think is inspiring to all of us. If you love Mind Love, you can support me by supporting my sponsors. It's really a win-win because my sponsors are awesome. You can also support by sharing Mind Love either with a friend or on social media. You can either use that cute little share button or you can even just screenshot it and tag Mind Love Podcast. Don't forget to sign up for the morning Mind Love to stay inspired throughout the week. And you can do that at mindlove.com or text morning to 444 Thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. 
Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.